0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm very excited to uh, to be here uh, worshiping with you. I was actually um, uh, talking with a, a friend uh, recently who's also a pastor, also doing ministry, also trying to kind of navigate this sort of crazy um, crazy uh, time of trying to just navigate through this pandemic that we're in. And one of the things we, we both agreed on was sort of the value of, of still being able to gather together um, virtually uh, when we were um, when we were online exclusively, we thought it was important to be doing that live. And so we were uh, gathering together in our living room, uh, me and Julia, we had uh, Zach and then someone else come in to sing. And we thought it was important that while we were doing that, while we were worshiping, while we were uh, preparing the, the, the message, that we were doing that uh, live with you in your pla- uh, places, wherever you were watching, whether it was at home or, or at the Lake Cabin or whatever. And I think that's one of the, the cool things. One of the things I'm excited about is that um, even though right now we have some people here, we have some people that are at home uh, watching, we're still gathered together. Um, and, and even if it's not physically for some of us, uh, we're gathering together to, to worship together. And, and I'm excited about the fact that we can, we can sort of still have that unity as a congregation, because I think that that's super important that we see ourselves as as connected and 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 gathering on Sunday morning. So um, welcome to those of you who are gathering here with us in person and welcome to those of you who are gathering with us in your homes. Um, we view you all equally gathered this morning. Um, so today the, the passage is, is John 12 and, and what I want to do is I want to um, spend the bulk of the time today talking through the triumphal entry, the, this, this picture of Jesus kind of parading through Jerusalem, kind of coming in looking like a king, a conquering king who's coming in. Um, and that's a, that's actually a passage that every year, maybe, maybe you didn't grow up in a church that celebrated this as much as others, but some churches make a big deal out of Palm Sunday every year. Um, and, and maybe when growing up, I remember we actually had palm branches. We'd have the kids get together and kind of wave palm branches. And uh, this year, um, if you remember, we we showed a video of different kids at home. We were still meeting only online at that time, um, but we showed a different uh, video of... Um, kids waving palm branches at home, and that was a really uh, fun, fun thing for us. But that's actually what this passage is talking about, is that triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. So it's something that in the Christian calendar we celebrate uh, every year, but we don't always get a chance to sort of dig into what's going on there when we do that. And today we're going to really talk about what it means for Jesus to sort of show up as this as this king into Jerusalem, getting everyone excited, and what that means uh, for what's going about to happen right afterwards, which is his crucifixion. Crucifixion. We're going to talk about the significance of that today, but before we do, I, I want to sort of set up, set the table for that by talking uh, through the, the little story right at the beginning where where. Um uh, Mary comes and she puts the oil on Jesus's feet. Now, this this is a passage or, or a, a, a story that, that many of you may have heard before, and it's kind of a it's kind of a short one. Actually, John has really long stories. It's kind of different than the other gospels, but this is a pretty short one. But I think it's actually packed with some significance that actually sort of sets up what I do want to talk about in the main part of the passage. So. Um, They're at a dinner, they're they're honoring Jesus for raising Lazarus. Remember Julie talked about in last week's sermon, uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead. This is not a small thing, obviously, so they figured we should celebrate this. Um, We we should have a dinner honoring Jesus because he brought our dead brother back to life again. He was at one point no longer with us, and now he's back with us again in person. So the least we can do is have a dinner sort of celebrating uh, Jesus. And Mary kind of... Uh, decides, I want to do more than just that to honor Jesus. And so she brings out this oil, this nard oil, it's called, and she puts it on Jesus' feet as a show of sort of um, adoration towards him. Now, when John says that this was an expensive amount of oil, he's not talking about, like, like buying an iPod for a $10 white elephant gift exchange expensive, okay? That's not the kind of expensive he's talking about. Um, uh, the same friend, actually, I, I told you about that. I was talking with this pastor friend. He was telling me about uh, uh, some neighbors of his who over quarantine. And maybe you have neighbors like this, too, who are with, have kids and are going a little bit crazy. Or maybe this is just you. <laughs> maybe it's not just your neighbors. Maybe this is you. Going a little bit crazy, um, having to be kind of stuck at home um, and try to find stuff to do every day with the kids. And so this friend of mine, he said his neighbor uh, put in a $60,000 pool in their yard as just something to do to kind of... Give them keep themselves sane, okay? The oil that, that Mary is putting on Jesus' feet, it seems like that it's like that level of expensive, okay? Like like crazy expensive, uh, 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 this oil that she's putting uh, on his feet, okay? That's kind of what we should have in mind when we, we see this. So clearly, like great amount of significance, great amount of worth applied to Jesus by Mary through this act of putting this oil on his feet. So Judas um, Being the sensible one in the room, he stands up and says, um, Hey guys, uh, we're Christians and this is just excessive. This is just, this is too much. Um, We should have given this to charity. We should have found some more efficient way to use this. That's kind of what he stands up and says. Now John tells us that Judas had an ulterior motive, and I don't know if it's at this point that um, that they realized it uh, that Judas was actually he had some sticky fingers. He was uh, kind of uh, grabbing the money out of the uh, out of the the money that they collected as kind of a group and, and using it for himself and and. Um, you know, if you had an entourage, especially in the first century like this, but even today, like, you know, celebrities have these entourages maybe, and one person kind of handles the money, they're kind of the, the financial person, they, they kind of keep track of the money for, that they're all kind of spending as a group, and, and Judas seems to have been, that seems to have been his job. And that could either mean that he's very practical, he's sensible, he 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 knows how to think in terms of credits and debits and uh, and and getting the most bang for your buck. It also actually I got read this in a commentary a few years ago. It's kind of interesting. Um, It also might have meant that he was a bit of like a goon like uh, just think about in the ancient world when you are traveling around all these different places um, it's really common for like thieves and robbers to be hiding out on the side of the road and kind of jump you and try to you know rob you and so you would give the money to the person who would like kind of the muscle of the group the, the one who who maybe could could kind of fight off everybody who's trying to stake the money so we don't know for sure the reason that judas takes care of the money but it does seem like he at least has he likes to at least talk like well, we should be really efficient. We should be really thoughtful about how we use this money. And Jesus sort of calls him out, but he doesn't call him out for being a hypocrite. Be, you know, he doesn't call him out for being the one who kind of likes to take the money for his own, like John tells us. He calls him out for, for something else. Um, he, he actually kind of, at least in this time, right, in this exact moment, he seems to kind of reject Judas's seemingly noble um, uh, premise that this money should have been used in a more efficient way. Now, it's kind of weird, maybe, to to hear Jesus saying, uh, don't don't use this money to care for the poor uh, here, but but what he's actually saying uh, to Judas is he's critiquing Judas' assertion that the answer to every problem, uh, the the solution or the key to every wise decision comes down to how efficiently we're using our money or our resources. I think that's what he's actually getting at Judas for here. And and so Judas, it seems like, can only think about any interaction, even one as simple uh, and also as as deep, as, as Mary worshiping Jesus by applying this expensive oil to him to show his value and his worth, he can only think of everything in terms of, of um, uh, what, what's the monetary value of this? What, what, what are we getting out of this in terms of money? Are we using our money wisely or something? And so I think what Jesus is critiquing him for is that, uh, that Judas loves and adores money more than he does Jesus. Now this sort of um, This sort of giving yourself over to a love or a desire of something to that level, um, Christians and the Bible calls this this worship. This this sort of giving yourself over to something to where you can only ever see most situations in terms of uh, of a certain lens. When When we see things through a lens like something through money, we would call that worship. And, and I think it's not just our society, but all societies have three really big things that people tend to give themselves over to, to worship. And those three things are money, sex, and power. And so, Judas isn't alone. Many people worship one of these things. And I don't just mean people who end up in, like, crazy Netflix documentaries like Tiger King, right? Or, or uh, people who make the news because um, they are involved in, like, sex scandals, whether they're politicians or movie producers or something like that. We, we tend to think of, when we think of someone who is, who is governed by a quest for money or sex or power, we think of people who end up in, like, the tabloids, right? That's kind of how we tend to think about it. But I actually think um, that, like, fundamentally, uh, many people are, 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 are still worshiping, worshiping these things, many of us even, may have our hearts sort of pulled towards worshiping these things as, as opposed to Jesus. And so if, if it's money for you, then you're going to approach every situation and ask, what is the monetary value of this exchange? You're going to see everything in terms of sort of like a deal that's going on, where there are winners and there are losers, and you want to make sure you're the winner of it. Um, you are going think, to think about like this. Have you ever bought something or, or gone on a trip or done something purely because you thought, this is such a good deal. I just can't say no to this thing. I just can't say no to the, to the monetary value of this thing. And that, that's the main lens in which you think through it. Um, if that's if that's true if you've ever had that like maybe your heart is being pulled towards like a worship of money in that in that instance Okay um, We 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 maybe start to see people in terms of their monetary value How much money they have and we start to ascribe worth to them based on like how well they dress or how much money They're making at their job You see how easy it is for us to do that to sort of see the world through the lens of the thing that we desire most And we can do that with money now, all of this is by way of introduction, actually, to what I want, I want to talk about more specifically, and that is about um, power uh, or, or maybe control, okay? And, and we've been talking through uh, the book of John in this sort of um, mini-series in the book where we're talking about um, oppositions to Jesus, to the coming of Jesus and his kingdom. And one big one in our world today is a sort of, uh, a sort of wrong view or a sort of... Um, Need to control or have power in all sorts of situations maybe maybe power is not uh, maybe power is not the right word, maybe it 's control for you, but I think it really kind of comes from the same thing and so if that 's true of you you 're going to see everything as like an opportunity or a threat to your ability to control a situation or to control your life to to sort of live uh, comfortably uh, to live. Um, to have a good lifestyle, to make sure you, you know everything is perfect in your in your family or in your job or for your comfort or whatever it is, sort of an unhealthy level of needing to control everything, and oftentimes that leads to to anxiety or depression as, as we want to control everything and we we can't control it all and it just it's sort of it, it sort of is overwhelming for us uh, oftentimes people can be frozen by big decisions that they have to make because they don't feel like they have total control over it or they don't know what the outcome go- is going to be and they can't handle not being in control of what's going to happen and that just is, is overwhelming to them uh, it can make us distrust other people to say, I just have to do it myself, and I'm going to come in and micromanage every situation. And for some people, um, to, to be sure, there's a darker version of it. There's a, there's a desire to conquer, to manipulate, to dominate other people that comes from this unhealthy need or this worship of power. Now, the reason I want to talk about this today is because when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, he's showing up as the king like the king, the one who holds all power over the world. And so when we are going to ask ourselves, what does it look like to exercise power, to have a healthy view of power, and to truly... Uh, Worship Jesus and find power rooted in Him instead of uh, in worshiping some other version of power. We're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get a sense for what God means by power. And if we are are ones who who tend to worship power, we're gonna find how Jesus is presented as as incomprehensible um, and maybe even scandalous because um, Jesus uses His power in a way that might seem scandalous or foolish to those who, who worship power or worship control. And he calls us to view power and control through this sort of foolish lens as well. Foolish in air quotes, obviously, but, but many people might think of it. So I, I want to talk about that today. So let's start out, let, let's actually just talk about this, this parade of Jesus coming through Jerusalem. Now, a king riding into their capital city uh, in, a, in a great show of power is actually a pretty common thing in the ancient world. Um, and, and actually, the, the Roman Caesars and generals did this on a regular basis. You know Rome loved to go out and conquer other nations. That's one of the reasons that they're like the biggest empire the world has ever known is because it's just a normal Tuesday for them to go take over another nation. And every time you do that, you have to like celebrate it. And you've got to come back and whatever the general was or the emperor was, had to kind of come through the city, um, uh, bringing their army with them. Everyone is cheering and, and, and like, um, you know, they're, they're all the fanboys and the fangirls are there celebrating. And you're actually carrying the, maybe the people you conquered that you've now turned into slaves behind you. They're, they're part, of the, uh, part of the parade as well. Um, and, and really what it is is it's just a big flex. <laughs> it's a big flex for everybody to kind of let them know, hey, don't mess with us. Um, and, it, and it's kind of just like, what good is it to have all this power if you're Rome, if you're not going to celebrate it and let everybody know how powerful you are? And so this is a pretty common thing, what Jesus is doing in Jerusalem. But let's start to notice some of the differences about what has happening with Jesus versus where they might normally expect a parade like this to happen. So Jesus' triumphal procession immediately is different to us when we find out that Jesus decides to get a donkey to ride on. Now, if you're a if you're a Roman general, you're going to get a big old war horse that you're going to ride on, something that's going to make you really tower over everybody, but and that, that that you know can move fast. But riding on a little donkey, like. You're not that high up in the air. The donkey's moving pretty slow. It's not a very intimidating animal to ride around on, okay? It's kind of like uh, instead of driving through a big military parade in a tank, it's like the general chose a minivan instead to ride through, okay? That's kind of what what, what we should should see here going on. And the choice of the donkey ties into this announcement and then now this fulfillment of God as king coming to his people that we read, Julie read this morning in Zechariah 9.9. Um, and that, that's the one we had for our, our call to worship. Okay, so let, let's just dive back into that really quickly. Uh, it, the, the passage reads like this. See, your king comes to you. He comes righteous and victorious. Okay, righteous and victorious. That sounds pretty good. Sounds like what we'd expect a king to be doing. But also lowly. And that, the Hebrew word for lowly can mean oppressed or afflicted. All right, not what you think of when you think of a conquering king. That's how Jesus comes riding in on this donkey. So Jesus is signaling that he's king, but he's signaling that, hey, I am a very different type of king than you're used to expecting, okay? I'm coming through here uh, lowly and afflicted. And and so the people of Israel, the people watching, they maybe don't understand the significance of it, um, but in a week, they for sure will when when Jesus is up on the cross. They'll understand what it means for Jesus to be king as he is oppressed, as he's afflicted, as he is lowly, he's humbled, dying uh, the death on a cross, Now, now, nevertheless, despite all this, the people are hooked. They are are totally in on this king riding through Jerusalem right now. And the reason is because of the fulfillment. I think not every person watching would have known the fulfillment, but those who knew, um, knew their scriptures would get the resonance here. They would understand what it means for Jesus to be picking a donkey to ride in on. Okay, So there's that, but also there is the the sign of raising Lazarus. We're told in in verse 18 of the passage that the reason that people are sort of whipped up into this frenzy, the ones that really freaks the Pharisees out, is because the, the, the news of Jesus bringing Lazarus back to life has spread and people are jacked because this is already someone, Jesus now, this is already someone that they are starting to think, this could be that king guy that we've been waiting for. He, could, he is going around doing stuff that no one else has done before. He says things that make us think he's God's Messiah. And, and he's showcasing this power to raise someone from the dead. Like, that's a sign... If you're an oppressed, you're an afflicted minority people like like the Jews are at this time, that's the kind of thing you rally behind. That's the kind of thing you've been waiting for. A, A king who does signs or miracles because he has the power of God to do things that no one else can do. That sure sounds like the type of king you've been waiting for, and it sounds like the type of king that God had promised in passages like Zechariah 9. So people are jacked about it. And the Pharisees, they know it. In verse 19, they say the whole world is going after him. Like, everyone it, everyone wants this guy to be their king right now. And it freak, like we said, it freaks the Pharisees out. At this point, they already have a plot to kill Jesus. But they're starting to wonder if this plan is even going to work because he is, he is so, uh, so exciting to the people. And then Jesus says stuff like this Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up on the earth, will draw all people to myself. Okay? Jesus says specifically Hey guys, I'm here to kick butt, right? I am here to to show the prince of this world who's actually boss, to judge them, and then to bring people to myself. Now, the thing about this is, and I don't know how much people understand this at the moment, Jesus has a different prince in mind than Caesar or uh Pontius Pilate or the, whoever it is that the, the people have kind of focused their um, attention on as the sort of uh, the evil tyrant that's ruling them at this time. Jesus has someone else in mind. That's the, the prince of the world here. We talked about this at the beginning of our miniseries. That's actually Satan. That's actually the, the power of spiritual forces that, have, uh, that are behind sort of all the oppression of Israel. And when he talks about being lifted up from the earth and drawing people to himself, he's not talking about sitting on some... Th- some super high throne where he looks down at all the throngs of people surrounding him. He's talking about Jesus lifted up on a cross here. Okay, So Jesus' Jesus's words, he's, he's getting at, I'm not the king you think here. I'm not going to do this in the way you think. My power works differently in the way that you guys might think. Um, and, 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 and people, uh, and John tells us this in verse 33. He said this to show the kind of death he was going today. Jesus says, you guys, I'm going to do this by dying. It's not going to look in the way that you might think. Now, if you're someone who, who's hearing this, and maybe the, the people at the time don't get it, but reading this now with John's parenthetical, understanding what this true power is going to look like, you might start to think, uh, this sounds pretty dumb dumb. This doesn't really make any sense. It's not like the opposite of the way that a king who wants to show up and set his people free would be exercising his power. If he truly had all this power, this doesn't seem like the way that I think he should be using it. And that's our first point of application today. The first thing for us to grab a hold of and, and pull from this passage as we leave here today, that power in God's kingdom looks different. It's used differently than it is in any other kingdom. And I want to talk about what that means and how that is, how that is sort of um, throws us off as we, as we really examine that, that power that is exercised in, in Jesus uh, nailed to the cross, exercising his, his kingly authority, his power to set people free as he's nailed to a Roman cross, as he's being executed right as a criminal on a cross, that his power would manifest and set people free in that way. Okay, so, so the Apostle Paul, he talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1, to 24. He talks about the sort of incomprehensibility to people of this notion. Okay, so he says, uh, uh, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's what we treat. What, that's what we preach. We're not preaching the type of signs and wisdom that other people are looking for. We preach Jesus crucified. That's our power. That's our wisdom. Now, this thing is a, a stumbling block to Jews. Now, the the reason it's stumbling block to Jews is because Jews demand signs, Paul says. Um, And this is a stumbling block to them. It throws them off. It trips them up as they're sort of trying to go and figure out what God's up to. If they're demanding signs, and remember, this is actually the same word that John uses in chapter 12 to describe the sign of raising Lazarus from the dead that had gotten these Jews so excited, these Jewish people so excited for Jesus. They're looking for this kind of stuff, Paul says. Paul himself is a Jew, okay? So he's not throwing Jews under the bus here. But he's saying a lot of Jewish people are looking for these sort of shows of power because that's what they want that's what they're looking for in their king is the type of king who who uses uh, his power to sort of dominate his, his his enemies okay so this type of sign is a is a stumbling block to jews but it is in verse 24 he says christ is the power of god it is still the power of god but it's not in the way that people think now going to um greeks greeks look for wisdom okay but this looks like foolishness To Gentiles and Gentiles and Greeks, they're not necessarily the same word, but he's referring to the same group of people. Um, God has called people from both Jews and Greeks, and even though it might be, it might seem foolish, it is actually the wisdom of God. It is actually the, the 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 way in which God's wisdom expressly manifests itself is in giving Himself up, is in Him exercising His power on behalf of those who might even be His enemies. That's the way that His power works itself out. And so because all of this, because uh, Jesus is a different type of king who exercises his power in a different sort of way than all the kings uh, of the world, just think about this, all right? Think about a, a king who shows up, the type of king the Jews may have wanted, the type of king who um, Caesar specifically said he was. This is a king who, 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 ex- who said, hey, I brought peace to the world." But this peace, is this, this called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome is what it was called. This was a peace that was enforced with armies. They said, if you mess with us, we're going to send our armies in and we're going to kill you all. And that's how we keep our peace. So it might be peace. It might be something that Rome liked to celebrate about itself. But it's not, it, it's, it's the type of power that that, that is like... It has created wars throughout the centuries. It creates division amongst people. It creates unrest now. That type of show of power, we should know as humans, whether it's personally, as you have have seen this done to yourself, as people have tried to use power to control you, or you've seen you've done it to other people, or you just look at human history, you see the folly of that type of power, the way in which it doesn't actually end up working, the way in which it creates much more harm than it does good. Okay, so, so when we have a king who shows up who is using power in a different way, that makes him worth worshiping. That makes him worth following. That makes him worth emulating. And that's our uh, second point of application today, that Jesus is worth worshiping and not power itself. Have you guys ever noticed that, like, okay, like I said before, many, many people, like, really dis- we, we like to control things. Have you ever noticed that like, as a society, we, we, dem- we really want to control everything, yet we hate it when other people tell us what to do. We hate it when other people try to exercise uh, control or power on us. Um, we, and so what we kind of think is like we have this unhealthy view, I think, of, of power and authority that makes us just want to dismantle it, but for the purpose of giving it all to ourselves. That's what how we, you know, that's the irony. That's the tension of how we view power and control in our society. And, and like I said before, it makes us miserable, it makes us distrustful, it makes us anxious, depressed, fearful, always kind of uh, you know, all paranoid right, about the, the losing this power, this control that we've worked so hard uh, to, to get a hold of. And so what I'm saying is when we worship power or control just in and of itself, it doesn't lead us to life. It leads us to something else, despite the fact that it tells us if you can just control everything about your life, if you can have power over your situations, then you'll be happy. Despite the fact that we're told that, that, that power claims to give us that, we, we find that that's not true all the time. And so Jesus, the one who shows us how power is, is truly to be expressed, he's the one uh, that is worth worth following. He's the one that is worth worshiping. And there's a, there's a couple big reasons for that I want to talk about that Jesus talks about in uh in in, verses 23 and 26 of John 12, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So there are two things here in this passage that sort of show us why Jesus is better to worship than power or control uh, for ourselves. The first is that his death, the way that he is showing his glory and his power as king, leads to the life of many others. And that's what he's talking about in verse 24. He's talking about a kernel of wheat that falls into the ground and it dies, but what it ends up doing is creating life for all these other seeds that it plants. Many other seeds come from this one that dies. And what he's talking about here, again, Jesus can be cryptic sometimes. He doesn't always get to the point. He wants it to be revealed finally and fully as he's up there on the cross and as people sort of experience what he's done on that that cross. He's saying, my death is going to lead to the life for many, many, all others. My death needs to be the thing that will truly give you life, that will truly give you power, that will truly be the way that God exercises his rule in the world. In order for true life to come, sacrifice is necessary. Only from that can life truly come. In a broken world like the one that we live, life can only come from that. Power is, is is, everything is a gift given by the king and is to be used in that way that leads to life. And I think this is a principle, okay? Not only is it what Jesus does for us, and it's not, not only is it the thing that we celebrate every single week in our worship, in our preaching, is Jesus uh, crucified on the cross to bring life to us, but it's also a principle for us to follow. And that's the second reason that Jesus is, uh, Jesus is worth following, is because he gives us a model for what it looks like to exercise power or control in a way that truly leads to life, that truly leads to flourishing, He's a better guide how to use power than anyone else is. And that's our last point of application today, is that Jesus is the model for how to ex- execute power. Like I said before, power works differently in Jesus' kingdom. Power, uh, control, autonomy, it's given to us by God. It is a gift for us to be used for the benefit of others as we give it up in glad submission in following our king. And only then, only when we exercise power in this way of giving it up for others' benefit, of of submitting to Jesus, will it truly have the power of God. Will it truly produce many other seeds. Only then does it not just self-destruct on us. That's the only time that that, power is not going to bounce back at us as we try to control everything is when we give it up to others for their benefit, for their flourishing, as we we use whatever we've been given. And we have many things that we can use that that give us some measure of control that we can be using for the benefit of others, right? Whether it's, it's our wealth Our education, our skin color, our gender, our our influence, our connections to the right people, our time, our skills, our gifts, all these different things that we have that we're going to be tempted to kind of use for our own benefit are things that we can actually be using to serve others, whether it's people in our own church community here, whether it's people in our neighborhood, whether it's people in our city God has given us that stuff to be used in the way that Jesus uses his power to benefit others, to give life to others. And so we as Christians are called to do that. And only when that power is used in a Christ-like way can it truly have an eternal and lasting effect. It might... It might seem in the moment that, that using power control to benefit ourselves seems to have a lasting effect, but I can guarantee you it will not. I can guarantee you you'll just be looking for the next thing. You'll just be feeling some threat to your control uh, You know, a few days later or a few weeks later. But when we use it in the way that Christ does, it will truly have lasting benefit. It will truly produce uh, um, a good harvest in the way that Jesus is talking about. So what I want to do is I want to pray And then uh, Zach and Heather are going to come up, and they're going to uh, lead us in worship. And I want you just to reflect on on a couple of questions having to do with how you view control, how you view power, and how you worship Jesus. Lord, we thank you that um, you did not view your power as something to be used for your own benefit, but you used it uh, to, to, to give us life, to set us free uh, in, in a way that is, is much more lasting, that is much more for our benefit than the way that any other people in power uh, use that power, Lord. We, we thank you that you um, give us, you not only set us free, but then you give us this, this, this model to follow so that we may uh, experience the, the, the benefits of your death and resurrection for us as we see it, uh, find expression in, in us giving life to others, Lord. Make us people who do not Who are not tempted to view power as something to be grasped, as control, as something to be worshipped, but as people who worship you and who use uh, the power that you give us in order to benefit those around us, Lord. That's our, our prayer to you this morning. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.